Well, thank you, everybody, for coming. I always appreciate when people are here. That's a good thing. What I'm going to preach about today is that your past is no excuse. If you would, please turn to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 through 24. Paul writes, Nevertheless, as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. That means every church. That means every denomination. That means every Christian church in this world. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. The one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You and me were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. What Paul is saying here is that your past or even your present circumstances are no excuse or disqualification for you to serve God. The Bible has an ample list of fallen people who had pretty horrendous pasts. David, Moses, Peter, Paul, just to name a few. But they had faith in and a repentant heart for God. And God in His grace and sovereignty used them for His glory as he will you once you truly give your life to him. Now, why do I say truly a lot? Because, for example, saying I gave my life to Christ is one thing, but saying I am picking up my cross daily for Jesus is another entirely. When God calls you, obey the will of God no matter what your life has amounted to thus far. We all fall short. But do not limit what God can do with you for his ambition and glory. Now who am I? I'm a liar, a thief, a murderer at heart, a blasphemer, a coveter, etc. You know, I could go on and on. But do you know the worst thing is that I've done in my life? I ran from God. I would wear out, fall down, get up and run again. And again and again over the course of my life. Just a vicious circle of repetitive failures was all I ran into, trying to do things in my own strength. You know, I finally ran to the point where I was so exhausted. You know, it was almost to the point where I felt like dying. Have any of you ever felt that way? You know, we always thought God was chasing after us. Why do we think we can run from a God who's omnipresent? Or try to outsmart him when he's omniscient? Or even think we are stronger than him when he is omnipotent. 
I remember finally falling on my knees and just looking back with any kind of foolish fortitude I thought I had left. I saw Jesus right behind me with open arms. My past is nothing but. It is past. It is gone. You know, I think many of us forget how the beauty of our salvation in Jesus Christ works. Listen. Will I answer for the mistakes of my past before I was saved? No. They are forgiven and forgotten. If you are not saved, all of your sins in the past are forgiven. When you truly turn to Christ in repentance and ask Him into your heart as Lord and Savior of your life. Christ recompensed you on the cross and all you have to do is receive his free gift of salvation and eternal life. Isaiah 43.25, it says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. But, we will bear the consequences and chastisements of those past and present sins. Now King David, after his sin with Bathsheba, in Psalm 51, he wrote, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David was forgiven, but he bore the brunt of those penalties for the rest of his life. And we are born in sin and will perish in sin if we do not ask Jesus to save us from them. David repented. God forgave him. Now Christians, we have to continually repent so we can stay in fellowship with God. You hear people say, I'm saved, so my sin doesn't matter. Yeah, it does. God's our Father. Your children do something wrong, you forgive them, but there's punishment for it. Why would God not treat us the same way? You know, we will give an answer and an account for the things that we will do and have done since we've become saved. That's why Paul talks about the works that we do as Christians that will be refined by fire. But God, he will take the bad in our past for use to glorify him in our present and our future. That's why communion and abidance in God's will is so essential in our Christian walk with Jesus. Philippians 3, 13-14 says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now what are you holding on to and harboring in your life? If someone's hurt you in the past, God will ease that agony once you truly forgive that person for what they have done. Well, you might say, I cannot forgive them. Why not? Why not? Jesus forgave all of us who put him to death for our sins against Almighty God. We all flogged him and spit on him. All of us put nails in his hands and feet. We all crucified him. 
not just the Jews and the Roman executioners on Calvary. Our sins are liable for his death. If someone spit in your face, what would you do? What if somebody hit you? What if somebody cursed you? What if you were to be put to death, would you, could you love them for putting you to death? We did this to Jesus, and in his love and grace, he forgave us all. Christ, the innocent lamb, gave himself up for us to be the sacrifice and propitiation for our sins. Knowing this grace, which comes from the heart of God, how can we have the audacity to say that we cannot forgive someone for their sin against us? I know it can be so tough to forgive, but we must because God commands it. Ephesians 4, 31-32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We are sinful human beings and we will hurt each other. Sometimes it will be you know, a misunderstanding or unintentional hurt. But we have to work out problems right away, especially as brothers and sisters in Christ. Then we can move on for the greater things we are called to do for God's kingdom. Paul said in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You cannot change the former days and nothing in the past matters. What you are doing for the cause of Christ is what matters now. Ephesians 4.22 says you are to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. All of us commit our own sins. No one else commits your sins. If someone has sinned against you, do not take that sin and clutch it as your own. And I've seen people do this. It's not your fault. That is their sin, and do not ever let them make you think otherwise. God will hold them accountable, not you. All you have to do is forgive. All human beings who have ever trampled upon this earth will stand before Jesus, either as their eternal Savior forgiven of all past transgressions because of his shed blood on the cross, or they will stand before him as their eternal judge. We are without excuse. We are to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. How hard is that for us to do? How do we do this if we are clinging to unforgiveness or sins of the flesh that we refuse to let go of in our hearts? We can't. We cannot truly love unless we give these things over to God. In 1 John 2, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. So how do we do this? Deny yourself. 
Repudiating ourselves is the toughest thing for a human sinful flesh to do. It never wants to deny itself. Ever. It wants to feed into us whatever we desire and it wants to destroy us. Sin turns your own body and your own mind against you. And most people in the world make the devil's job easy. Deny yourself. And fully give in to the will of God for your life. Now Stephanie says, when we were discussing this the other day, she said, if you try to deny yourself but still cringe, or say, God, okay, but I still need this, or I still want this, or do that in my life, that's not full compliance to God's purpose for you. You're not denying yourself. You're fooling yourself is what you're doing. Fully repent, fully yield to the Holy Spirit and give it all over to Him. That's when you have a true form of spiritual discovery in your life. I know because I went through that. I wanted to hold on to things. I didn't want to fully submit to God. I thought that I could do both. It doesn't work that way. You produce good works for God and you become what you were meant to be when you do this. A selfless servant to be used by God and for God for His glory. Our meaning in life is to be a vessel for God's Holy Spirit to show Jesus Christ's love to everyone. That's what we're here for. People always talk about the meaning of life. What's the meaning of life? Serve God. It's pretty simple. I can understand why all you guys love this church. It's such a you know beautiful setting and so much antiquity and tradition that comes along with it. You know, people like Thelma, who've been here for a long time, seen and heard the many joys and celebrations. You know, I praise God for that. But how much of that past history has distresses and pains and bad memories? I'm sure those have came along with it, right? You guys have seen the good and the bad. Now, how many of you are still grasping on the bad tribulations or trials that came through this building at one point or another? How many people have come and gone that have offended you or done damage to the image of this congregation? I'm sure a few would come to mind, unfortunately. Let me tell you something. Forgive it and let it go. Forgive it and move on. Why drag it along? the road of life with you. How can you walk the narrow path of Jesus when you're letting thorns and thistles and brush block that path? This church, as wonderful as it is, it's just a building. If something happened to this structure, we would still meet together, even if it was in a tent outside or just sitting out in the grass. We have to be careful about things in our lives. You know, I know how much you guys love this church, and so do I. But you can make traditions or building an idol. You've got to be careful with that. You know, I had so many people say to me at, at, at the festival how much they loved Antioch. Oh, just I mean, so many people coming to me and saying that, you know. And it was very nice and heartwarming, but it made me wonder, do they love the tradition? Do they love the building? Or do they love the true believers of Jesus that meet inside this place? 
I didn't have any clarification on that from what I was being told. And then I also asked myself, why aren't they here if they love it so much? That's the way my mind thinks, you guys. I question things. That's how I learn. But it's not about things. It's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Period. When it all comes down to it. We could have nothing. This world could be in shambles. But if we could meet together and praise God, what more could we ask for? Antioch Christian Church is not this house that we're sitting in right now. Antioch Christian Church is all of us who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. We're just a small part of the body of true believers of Jesus, our Savior. Now my point of all this is this. Are you doing the works that you do out of obligation or traditions to this building and its history? Or are you doing them for Christ? Jesus Christ is in our hearts and our unity as his body of believers should be bound together by Christ and nothing else. The church history is history. We need to be in the perfect will of God for Antioch's future. Okay? I'm all for tradition. I love history. I don't want you guys to take that the wrong way. I love the fact that this church has been here for 115 years. And I'm honored to be able to stand up here when so many men of God have stood up here before. I don't take that lightly. But this could all wash away. I would only care about the condition of you guys' hearts for Jesus Christ. That's all I care about when it comes down to it. If you wash away everything else. What is your relationship with Jesus like? And it's my job to make sure that you guys are in a close relationship with Jesus. That's why I'm always here if anybody needs to talk. Ephesians 2, 19-22 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We've got to run it together. You know, I was interviewing for a pastor position at another church, you know, before we came to Antioch. You know, I interviewed, I preached a few times, you know, did some Bible studies. You know, really connected. Everybody liked us, you know. But then one day the head elder called me and said they were going to pass on me. And the reason was they felt I didn't have enough wisdom. Not knowing anything about me or what Stephanie and I had been through in our lives. So what I said was, yes, sir, I respect your decision. And then right after that, in the same conversation, he asked me to preach Sunday. So how do you take that? I said yes, and I did. We also stayed there for a few more months, and Stephanie and I filled in until they found a new pastor. It was not about me. It was about the need of God for that church, and Stephanie and I stood in where God needed us for a time. We were striving to be in God's perfect will. And sometimes being in God's perfect will, we talked about this in Bible study this morning, Sometimes you have to do what you don't want to do.
to be in God's perfect will. But you have to say, God, I'll do it no matter the consequences. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do it for God, even if it hurts. Now, if I ever rub any of you the wrong way, or I hurt any of you, I truly mean this. Come to me right away with it, please. Or if I'm up here, I say something that you don't like, come talk to me about it. We'll get into the Word and we'll straighten it out, okay? If there's an issue between brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to address it now and not let it fester because those embers can grow into a large inferno really fast. I can't stress this enough. Satan doesn't always attack us with a full-out frontal assault. He gains much more success by attacking us in 500 small, subtle ways. He could pick at every single one of us individually, knowing that that could cause us to go at each other and burst into a huge flame. Small wounds cannot be pushed aside or ignored because they'll slowly become infected and grow into a disease that can kill us and wipe us out as a church. Now, if we're wounded, no matter how small the cut, we have to treat the lacerations quickly. God will heal all injuries if we take them to him. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's not people against people. We're fighting against Satan. Okay? Satan wants this church to die, not to flourish. And you guys have seen that. It almost did. But faith keeps it going. That's why we must be of sound mind and hearts in one accord for Jesus Christ. All of us together. Now Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. But what if we refuse to do that? That's nothing but pride. Pride keeps us from reconciling with God and reuniting with our brothers and sisters. Pride keeps your past from being reconciled. You know, I used to have thoughts of, well, you know, I'm kind of too ashamed or humiliated of what I've done and not worthy to take them to God for forgiveness. Any of you ever felt that way? God won't forgive that. Are you you kidding me? Why did I think like that? Pride, period. Pride, pride, pride. You know, I didn't want to let go of things I was doing wrong. I was trying to justify and rationalize my sins or my unforgiveness in my own mind. You know, I was being ignorant of the blood of Jesus Christ that washed my sins away forever. Pride brings along ignorance. How many of you are doing that now? trying to hold on to debaucheries or immoralities that you refuse to confess of or sinful lusts in your life that you refuse to let go of. Everybody says, oh, little dark secrets. They're not dark and they're not secret. God knows what they are. Who are you hiding them from? Your spouse, your family? Why won't you deny yourself so that you can truly gain Christ? 
And don't you understand that your sin doesn't just affect you? I think that's what happens, and that's a result of pride, is that you forget how many other people it can hurt. As a nation, the sins of our leaders affect all of us. Same thing with leaders around the world. And sin will affect those who are around you, whether you want to realize that or not. Or is there a fear? What are you afraid of letting go? Some people are afraid to let go and give their life to God. They think they're going to lose something. Yeah, you're going to lose your life for eternity if you don't give it over to God. That's what you're going to lose. Why wear the burdens that break you down? Give them to Jesus. What did Jesus say? Matthew 11:30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, I will take this from you. You don't have to carry it anymore. I'm telling you from experience in my own life, there's no comfort or contentment outside of God's will. None. So why do we prefer to stand in the wasteland when we've been granted permission to stand in the Holy of Holies? Why do we do that? He tore that veil. So we had free access to God's throne of grace. But we'd rather stand in Gehenna, where they burned the trash outside of Jerusalem. We would rather stand in that than stand where Christ made it accessible for us to stand. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're no longer convicted. When you forgive, when you repent of all your sin, that is when you can have a clear conscience and find true joy and freedom in Jesus Christ. When you're lost, the world feels like it's falling down all around you, right? Now, when you're saved, you need to see that in a different light. The world's no longer falling down around you. Basically, it's you breaking free from the world, and the pieces of it are falling off of you as you ascend closer each day towards heaven. Amen? That's how we need to look at it. It's not falling on you. You're breaking away from it as you ascend to God. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As I always say, keep Jesus at the center of everything, because we can do nothing apart from Christ, right? John 15.5 says, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So I take Christ at his word saying, if I can't do anything without him, then I can't do anything without him. And as Christians, we should never be content with the fact that many people every day refuse to let go of their past, to give it to Christ, to refuse him and his forgiveness. Countless people dying every day, and they're sending themselves to hell. That should break our hearts. We should never be content with the fact that many that we love will be left behind and will suffer the test that Christ said will come upon the entire world when God unleashes his wrath. That should grieve us beyond comprehension. It tears me apart because I know a lot of my family, that's going to happen to them because they will not listen. Right now, anyway. I'm hoping that the seeds planted that someday will take root. But that's between them and God. All we can do is plant those seeds. 
Now we should do everything that we can and bring as many people as we can to salvation in Jesus Christ. If not, at least tell them about Jesus. Even if you can only let them just hear his name. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself for you. Why not give your life to Jesus with eternal gratitude for taking your punishment and death upon the cross? And I don't just say this to you guys. I say this to the people that will hear this recording. Because I know that there's people that are friends of mine who aren't saved, but I think they listen. And I'm hoping that this will get to them, that they'll listen, that they'll hear it, and they'll act upon it. Because as far as we're concerned, we know how important a decision that is. We understand what heaven and hell means. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 